Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us a cornerstone in which to build our lives. In this world, there are so many challenges, so many uncertainties, but you are a solid rock in which we can stand. And I pray that now as we open scripture together, that you will give us insight and wisdom into how we can continue to stand firmly on you as our cornerstone, even when our culture, when individuals as well as society as a whole, that time seems to be working against our faith in Christ. So Lord, I pray that as a result of this time together, that we will grow in our courage and our conviction of following you and of representing you to the world around us. So we pray that you will work in our lives in that way. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. For many generations, Christians have enjoyed home field advantage here in America. And I understand what I mean by home field advantage. Think about sports. When a sports team has home field advantage, they are playing in an environment that is familiar to them. They have the fans cheering for them, not against them. And for many generations, Christians in America have enjoyed that type of home field advantage. Being a Christian in America has not only been socially acceptable, but in many ways it's been encouraged. In fact, if you have a person who does not or did not attend church, many people would look at them kind of strangely, wondering, is that person even trustworthy? But the reality is that Christians no longer enjoy that type of home field advantage any longer. For instance, if you're a student trying to live for Jesus, Odds are good that you have some people, some classmates perhaps, who look at you kind of strangely, who may ignore you or make fun of you because of your faith in Jesus. If you try to talk about Jesus, it may very well happen that you have peers or teachers even who are mean to you, who are snarky toward you because of your faith in Jesus. That might make you feel intimidated or make you want to hide your faith from others. And these same dynamics play out in workplaces, among friendships, even in families. When we don't have home field advantage, it's easy to get timid or scared or discouraged. Now here's something very interesting to consider. Opposition from non-Christians is actually a part of the church's origin story. You think back to the early church. The early church most certainly did not have home field advantage. I mean, in the early centuries of Christianity, after Jesus lived and walked on this earth, the church was a tiny group of people compared to the massiveness of the Roman Empire. Christians were mocked. They were threatened. At times, they were even killed. Yet Christianity thrived. It really thrived, and today we're going to see how they had courage in a hostile culture and how we can as well. So I invite you to turn in the Bible to Acts chapter 4. And if you're using a Bible from the Pew, Acts 4 is on page 1098. Now last week we saw that one day as Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' apostles, two of his disciples who are now leaders in that early church, one day as Peter and John were walking into the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, a man asked them for some money. And this man had been unable to walk from his birth. 
Now, Peter and John, in response, didn't give him money. Instead, they healed him through the power of Jesus. I mean, it was amazing. And this man was so excited, he was literally jumping for joy. And as you can imagine, a large crowd formed wondering, what in the world's going on here? And Peter took advantage of the opportunity to point them to Jesus. He, he told them about who Jesus is and how they too need to become followers of Jesus. And what we're going to see today is a continuation of that story. So please follow along as I read our passage, which is Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. It says, As Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men, meaning the number of Christians there, came to about 5,000. So a couple thousand people came to faith in Christ that day. Now moving on. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who, had, who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council... They conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But, in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn, warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what, of what we have seen. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So let me recap this passage for us. First of all, as Peter and John taught the people about Jesus, they were ambushed by Jewish leaders. Verse 1 says that the Jewish leaders came upon them. That was a, 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 a wording of aggression. 
This wasn't just Jewish leaders saying, hey, when you guys are done talking, can we please have a word with you? No, they were aggressive with those Jewish leaders as the captain of the temple guard. That guy led the police force that policed the Jewish temple. And he arrested Peter and John. And after spending the night in jail, Peter and John were interrogated by the Jewish leaders. Acts 4 verses 1 through 6 lists 11 different individuals and groupings of Jewish people who came against Peter and John. It included priests and Sadducees and rulers and elders and scribes and the list goes on and on. And these people, they had power. You have to understand that back there in ancient Israel, religion and politics were like this. These are people who had incredible power in that nation. Included in that list were two guys named Annas and Caiaphas. They either currently were or had been high priests of Israel. Now, if you know the story of Jesus, you may recognize those names, Annas and Caiaphas, because those were the two men who presided over the trial of Jesus. You remember how that trial turned out? Jesus was unjustly condemned and crucified. You can imagine that that background may have been playing through the minds of Peter and John as they stood on trial before Annas and Caiaphas and probably about 75 to 100 other Jewish leaders. And all the eyes were staring at Peter and John. And they were angry. And they asked Peter and John, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter then proclaimed the resurrection power and importance of Jesus. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing by by him this man is standing before you well now as i examine kind of this line of questioning i think it's kind of ironic that peter and john are being questioned for helping a guy they had shown kindness to a man who had been crippled since birth they had loved their neighbor as themselves which is one of the commandments from the old testament law this should have been a cause of rejoicing and gratitude but instead, the Jewish leaders, they were so blinded by pride and by politics that they could not rejoice that this guy had been healed. Instead, they were angry. They were upset. They felt threatened. And so they lashed out. Now, Peter, to his credit, gave all the credit and the glory to Jesus. Now, to the Jewish leaders, this probably would have seemed kind of weird. Because they knew that Jesus died just about two months earlier. They may have been thinking, hey, didn't we crucify that guy? Why, yes, we did. We crucified him. And now you're saying that he's healing people? To them, it wouldn't have made much sense. But we have to understand that they didn't want it to make sense. They weren't interested in the truth. All they wanted to do was to shut down the Christians. Now Peter went on in verse 11 saying, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
And Peter, in saying that, was referencing Psalm 118, verse 22. That was a psalm that said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, in building a building, especially out of stone, the most important building block was the cornerstone. It was a large stone that would be laid first, and then the building would be built based on the cornerstone. Now, Peter is talking about God is metaphorically building a new building. He's doing a new work, and the cornerstone, metaphorically speaking, on which he's building that building is Jesus. But Israel's rulers, Israel's builders rejected Jesus. They rejected the cornerstone that had come from God, yet God was still going to do his work through Jesus. Peter ends by saying, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And in saying that, Peter is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the only way, it's through faith in Jesus, that we can have a right relationship with God. Now, the Jewish leaders, as you can imagine, they were not happy at all. They ordered Peter and John to stop telling people about Jesus. They even threatened Peter and John. But Peter and John refused to stop talking about Jesus. Verses 19 and 20 say, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I mean, Peter and John, they had seen with their own eyes the resurrected Jesus. They were convinced that this was God working. And they'd heard from Jesus' own mouth just before he ascended into heaven, Acts 1.8. He said, "Ye will be my witnesses, telling the world about me. And so Peter and John are saying, you know what? We're going to obey Jesus rather than obeying you. So Peter and John, in summary, Peter and John were courageous Christians who really set the tone for countless Christians down through the centuries who stood up for Jesus even in the face of fierce opposition. And they can give us hope and give us confidence as well when we face opposition of our own as we follow Jesus and tell other people about Jesus. Now, in a minute, we're going to get to some practical application for how we can grow in our own courage in following and representing Jesus. But before that, I want us to recognize how much Peter has changed in just a couple of months. Because here in this passage that we're looking at today, Peter was asked, by what power, by what name did you do this? And Peter confidently answered, Jesus, even though he knew this was an unpopular answer. Now, do you remember how Peter responded the last time he was questioned about his relationship with Jesus? Do you remember that? I'm referring to two months earlier during Jesus' trial. During Jesus' trial, it was at Caiaphas' house. Remember Caiaphas, same guy Peter's on trial before right now? It was at Caiaphas' house. Jesus was on trial. Peter was outside of Caiaphas' house. It was that night. It was cold. He's warming himself by a fire. Someone thinks they recognize Peter. And they say, hey, weren't, weren't you one of his followers? Weren't you there with Jesus as well? You remember Peter's response? I don't even know the man. Peter denied three times 
that night that he even knew Jesus. And now, in a matter of two months, Peter had become courageous and unashamed. And the question is, what led to that radical change in Peter from timid and scared to bold and unashamed? Well, as we look at some principles of growing courage in our own lives, we're going to see what led to that transformation in Peter's life. So one principle for us is that Christian courage comes from being convinced that Jesus' resurrection is true. I mean, think back to Peter. Months earlier, months before Jesus was crucified, Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed that. But then after Jesus was arrested, doubts came flooding in. And doubt erodes courage. Doubt erodes courage, which is why then Peter denied even knowing Jesus. But then when Jesus was resurrected, everything changed. And when you look at the transformation of Peter and the transformation of Jesus' disciples, that is one of the strongest pieces of evidence there is for the truthfulness of Jesus' resurrection. Because how else do you explain how they so quickly went from being timid and scared to being bold and courageous, even fearless? I want to share with you a quote from Chuck Colson. You may or may not recognize his name. He was a a close advisor of President Nixon back in the 1970s. And then he was caught up in the Watergate scandal and ended up going to prison because of his his part in that scandal. But while in prison, Chuck Colson became a follower of Jesus. And later on, Chuck Colson said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So the question is, are you convinced that Jesus' resurrection is true? Now when we are convinced of that, it can give us confidence to stand up for him. For one, Jesus' resurrection validates all the big claims that he made about himself. On top of that, Jesus' resurrection gives us hope and confidence that no matter what happens to us on this earth, even if we are killed, ultimately God wins. And when our faith is in Jesus, because of Jesus' resurrection, we win too. That can give us incredible courage no matter what we face on this earth. So Christian courage comes from being convinced that Jesus' resurrection is true. Now another principle is that Christian courage comes from a deep relationship with God. Our confidence in Christ shouldn't just be intellectual, it should also be experiential. Look with me to Acts 4.13. It says, Now when the Jewish leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Jesus. 
I think, what a beautiful statement that is. I mean, may that be said of us as well, that people recognize a difference in us. And they attribute that to us being with Jesus. I mean, when we look at Peter and John, it's easy to put them and the other first century Christians up on a pedestal, thinking, wow, they were something amazing. They were something we could never attain ourselves. But you have to understand, they were just ordinary people. They had never been to seminary. They didn't have special skills that none of us have. I mean, in fact, most of us have received more education than they ever did. And we have similar skills to what they had. The difference that was made in their lives is they had been with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. Uh, they, they had a relationship with Jesus that changed their lives. In many ways, a relationship with Jesus can change our lives too. Yeah, we don't have him physically with us, but we can still have a relationship with Jesus because he's alive. We can still have a relationship with Jesus through Scripture and through prayer and through fellowship with other Christians and through depending on him on a day-by-day basis. And that can change our lives as well. And speaking of depending on Jesus, verse 8 says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we depend on Jesus, when we depend on God, the Holy Spirit can come and take control of our lives and give us confidence and courage. That's what happened for Peter there. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God did not give us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. The same Holy Spirit that, who empowered Peter and John to courageously represent Jesus can empower us as well. Now, if we only have a superficial relationship with Jesus, it's only natural that we're going to get timid and fearful in the face of opposition. But if we have a deep relationship with Jesus, where we've learned to trust him in everything, where we've experienced his presence and his work in our lives, then he becomes to us like a good friend. It's a no-brainer that we're going to stand up for him, even when others oppose him. And so, we have to understand that Christian courage comes from, from recognizing that Jesus was resurrected. Christian courage comes from a deep relationship with God and finally, Christian courage comes from seeking the approval of God more than people. Let me tell you a story as we talk about seeking approval from God more than from people. Back when I was in seminary, I worked for four summers at a landscape supply company. It was down in the Chicago suburbs. And if you think of Steins down in Mequon, and you multiply that by about 10 in terms of size and scope of what they do, that's a picture of the size of the company that I worked for down in Chicago. It was a large company, and it had multiple levels of management within that company. Now, when I worked for that company, I reported to the guy who was second in command at the company. His name is Porter. Now, there, there were a number of different people who reported to Porter. I was one of them. There's another guy who reported to Porter whose name is Ramon. Now, Ramon was a manager. I, I managed no one. I reported to Porter, but I didn't manage anyone directly. Ramon managed about 25 guys. But again, I managed no one. Ramon managed about 25 guys, but we both reported to Porter. So just think about this reporting structure. You have Porter, then you have me and Ramon and a number of other people. And so I remember one time, Porter gave me some instructions of something to do. 
And I was out there that day doing what Porter had told me to do. And Ramon came over, and Ramon was upset at what I was doing. But I still had courage and confidence in what I was doing. I obeyed Porter, not Ramon. Why? Because I reported to Porter. Porter was a higher authority than Ramon was in that reporting structure there. And that gave me confidence and courage to keep doing what I was doing because I was doing what Porter had told me to do. And that's the difference it makes when we, re when we recognize a higher authority. And you think about God. And you think about what Peter and John were doing. They recognized that they had a higher authority than human leaders. And when the human leaders contradicted what God had told them to do, they knew we were going to obey God rather than the human leaders. Christian courage comes from seeking the approval of God because we recognize that God is the highest authority there is. And I think about Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus commissioned his followers to represent him to the world, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So we see the commission to talk about Jesus, to point people to Jesus is based on the authority of Jesus, which is the highest authority there is. When we recognize this, it makes a world of difference. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian pastor in Germany up to and during World War II, and he was killed in a Nazi concentration camp. Now, while in that concentration camp, Bonhoeffer wrote, those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God, and those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. It talks about the idea of seeking approval of people versus God. And Bonhoeffer knew where the ultimate authority lies. He knew where he was looking for approval, and that gave him confidence even when the Nazis were threatening his life. And so the question for us is what audience are we living for? Are we interested, most interested in gaining the applause and approval of people or of God? And our lived-out answer to that question will make a world of difference in whether we have confidence and courage in standing up for Jesus or whether we wilt in the face of opposition. Because Jesus has given us a mission of helping people grow as followers of Jesus, and that takes courage. Because most of the time, we aren't going to have home field advantage out in the world around us as we follow Jesus and as we represent him. But we have to understand that opposition and persecution cannot stop the gospel from spreading. Let me share with you a recent and ongoing story about this. Back in the 1960s and 1970s, there was a movement in China called the Cultural Revolution. It was an attempt to reestablish China's sense of identity and to purify the country from outside influence. And one aspect of the Cultural Revolution was that Christian missionaries were either killed or kicked out of the country. And when that happened, Christian onlookers from other countries imagined that Christianity in China would die because there were no other no missionaries left there. And in fact, religion was outlawed in China. And so people thought that, that Christianity was going to die. But 
when the doors of China, metaphorically speaking, were reopened to the world in the late, 19, in the late 70s and throughout the 80s, it became clear that Christianity did not die in China during that time. Because God was working through house churches and through Christians who were courageous in China, sharing the gospel with their friends, their neighbors, their family. And Christianity grew and even flourished during that time. I mean, this was really quite amazing. Where today, there are around 100 million Christians in China. And that number is growing rapidly. I mean, on an average day, if you, if you do the math, on an average day in China, today, about 35,000 Chinese people are becoming followers of Jesus each day on average when you look at the growth rate of Christianity in China. And most certainly, Christianity does not have home field advantage in China by any means. There is so much more persecution still going on in China of Christians than there is here in America. Yet the gospel spreading and flourishing thanks to ordinary, courageous Christians who are meeting together, who are living for Jesus, and who are pointing people to the gospel. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we know that you want to work to build a following of you that will then point more and more people to Jesus. But Lord, we also recognize that in this world we will and do face opposition. That there are many people, and in fact there are broader society that in many ways works against faith in Christ. And Lord, in light of these realities, I pray that you will equip us and empower us with courage by the power of your Spirit, that we recognize that we're in this together with other believers in Christ, that we aren't in this alone. Lord, please empower us and encourage us to follow you faithfully and to represent you faithfully so that the gospel will continue to grow and flourish as you draw people to yourself. Lord, I pray that you will do this work through us here at Freedom's Church, through churches throughout this community, throughout this nation, and throughout this world to build your kingdom, God, a kingdom that will never fade, that will always flourish. Lord, may we be faithful to the calling that you give us. May you give us a living hope that gives us courage and confidence in this life and beyond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>